Hello and welcome to the spotlight. This is episode number 269. I know we've been on a hiatus for a while, but we're back and we are talking about Stranger Things season three. I am with my co-host, the one and only Jen. I'm doing great. Um, I actually in Hawaii here, we're not suffering from the same kind of heat wave that everybody else is across the nation. So I feel super blessed today to uh, not be sweltering. It is so hot. As you guys can see, I was I'm clean shaven today because uh, I said, you know, what? I don't need a hot beard. I'm, I think I'm going to go uh, beardless and mustacheless until uh, <laughs> the weather changes. <laughs> <laughs> so I just said, you know what? I just decided this morning I'm going to shave and uh, get some of the heat off my face. So uh, but um, I'm glad that you are here and I'm excited to talk about season three of um, Stranger Things. Um, I think. I think before we start with season three, we're going to talk about the whole season. And of course, there'll be spoilers. So if you don't want to be spoiled, if you haven't seen it, you may want to watch the show and get caught up and then watch, then listen or watch the program. But um, I want to start off with um, uh, because we've never done a podcast on Stranger Things before. I think we we've talked about it in a very, you know, overview sense. Right. Before. And I'm not we're not going to go back and really you know, review season one and two, but I do feel like I want to um, talk about the, the evolution of the show in a, in a real fast, you know, to get through it so we can get straight to season three. Season one, in my estimation, was this breath of fresh air. Like it came out and you know, with, with a lot of shows, especially sometimes a lot of Netflix shows, it, uh, you know how Netflix shows will, will come out and you'll, you'll be like, you know, it'll be this big buzz, like, uh, with, uh, what was that movie? The bird box, how everybody was talking oh, about hell, it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like Netflix has this thing, they can get the, get, get the people to talking about it. And I remember when, uh, stranger things came out, I was literally bombarded with people saying, you haven't watched Stranger Things? You haven't? I knew you seen it because I didn't see it right away. It was like quite a while before I saw it. I think you were might have been one of the ones that were like, you haven't seen Stranger Things yet? I I definitely was. Right. And I I mean, it wasn't that I was against it or anything. I just hadn't gotten around to it. And I really had it was one of those few things where I absolutely had zero knowledge of what it was about. I had no idea what it was about. Like, like I couldn't tell you, you know, generally even a show that you haven't seen, you've seen enough marketing of it where you can be like, oh, this is about this. Yeah. I, I didn't know anything. I didn't know who was in it. I knew Winona Ryder was supposed to be in it, but I didn't know where the setting was. I didn't even know what the tone was. I didn't know what kind of genre it was. I just heard this thing called Stranger Things. And I remember when the show, when that, the first, the pilot episode starts. And it was kind of that scary scene, you know, in the um, uh, in the facility. Oh, yeah. And I was like, at first I was like, what is this? Like, you know, like this is like some horror shit, you know, like I, I didn't even know what it was. And I was kind of surprised because the people that were telling me to watch it are not necessarily horror buffs. So that's why I was kind of surprised, like in the opening scene, like, wait, what is this? Uh, this is not, you know, this isn't um, something that the people that were telling me to watch it that you would normally get from them. And then as we 
continue. Hey, Ben Tuttle. Uh, big shout out to Ben Tuttle. And I'm going to see him next weekend. Uh, ben Tuttle. He'll be in L.A. for the first time. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, but I remember seeing, seeing, you know, seeing it and then kind of easing into it. And then I realized this is, you know, this is a good show. This is a great show. I, I don't know if I was hooked on the first episode. But I would say I was hooked maybe maybe the third or fourth episode. And um, I'm going to get to why I really got into it. But I, I just want to ask you this question. Like, how long did it take for you to get hooked on the show? Was it right away? Did it take a couple of episodes? I, and you um, just had to watch it. So, okay. So just, I mean, uh, is a little bit different of an experience for me because I had had some advanced press on it and I felt like it was going to be really good to begin with. I, I, there's just some material that I look at and I can sort of, I don't know, not see into it, but sometimes you just get a good feel. And I watch mm -hmm. a lot of entertainment, a lot of media. So I thought, okay, this looks really good. It's got nice production values. And it spoke to a kind of nostalgia that was just perfect for me. Um, and I think that after the first episode, season one, episode one, I was so hooked that I asked my uh, kid to come in and watch it with me. So I watched the first episode again, and then we binged the entire season in a day. Uh, we stopped watching it, I think, at like three o'clock in the morning. We had started sometime in the um, early afternoon or something, or maybe it was even a little bit before. But basically, we watched the entire season in one day. So that's how hooked we were. And just sort of as a, a point, I don't usually binge shows because I like to digest them. I like to think about them. I like to go through the episodes and really kind of come up with a point by point discussion in my head about what I want to see and what might happen and all of that. So for me to binge watch it, it was kind of a big deal. Yeah. Well, I would same thing. I went ran through it. I ran through it. once I got hooked, it was like I could it was like crack. And um the thing that got me that made me really into the show was I love conspiracy stuff. And and it, some who may know the the whole Montauk situation, I recognized it right away. Um, I saw the connections in it, and I it, so I, I was a I was aware where they were drawing the inspiration from. Mm -hmm. And one of those those situations, those uh, um, I don't want to say conspiracy because it's a real thing, but I love like conspiratorial type stuff. I love like the Illuminati type you know things and stuff like that. And to the point where they even had like crisis actors, you know, in the storyline. I love that crap, right? Right. And to see it in a in a mainstream story was pretty cool. So that really got my attention, like the whole secret government uh, base type thing and all of that. And then of course the '80s nostalgia and stuff. But um, so I recognized where they were drawing the inspiration from, much like much like uh, True Detective season three. Uh, I recognized where they were the real stories that they were drawn from and i i follow all of that kind of stuff so that got my attention and and then of course the acting performances and whatnot so season three i mean season one for example and we're not like i said we're not going to review season one or two but i felt like season one 
uh, they really did a solid for for um, Winona Ryder because, and I even heard them saying that they wanted this to be kind of like her comeback mm. type thing. And and there's a reason why I'm bringing this up as it relates to season three. We'll get back to that. But yes, Winona Ryder was amazing and it gave her great material. And they really like her character was awesome and she did an amazing job. And she really it was it it really it really um played up her best attributes as an actress, you know, what she can really bring. Right. And I don't know if I'm trying to remember, have we ever seen her as a mother? before on something i can't recall where she's like a mom uh, ever like yeah i can't think of anything right off the top of my head either yeah so that was a little different because i'm not used to her she's usually like these quirky characters and stuff i'm not used to her being the the, the worrisome mom who's you know but she did she was amazing she's a she's a she's a so talented uh of a person and she was definitely the revelation i thought of the adult actors um also, David Harbour, who plays Hopper, if you follow his work, when I saw that he was the lead in this, it blew me away. Because if you followed his work pre-Stranger pre, um, Things, he's always an asshole. And everything. He's, uh -huh. like, he's like this. If there's something where there's uh, corrupt cops and he's one of the characters and they, they haven't like told you yet who was the corrupt cop, he was, he's going to be the corrupt cop. You know, he's going to be the he's going to be the one that's taking money from, you know, from the, the criminals and all of that. Uh, he's a low key asshole with the art in Stranger Things. <laughs> yeah, that is totally him. So what and he I had never seen him as a lead. He was always like he's always like douchebag number one, you know, in uh, <laughs> on stuff. And he totally was great as a as the lead in this. He he gave everything that character needed. Uh, you know, one thing I love about his character, too, is he's wonderfully sloppy. Right. That makes sense. Like, he is sloppy in a way that's, you know, perfect for his character, you know, where it's not sloppy to the point where you're like, dude, get the hell away from me. But it's sloppy. I don't know how to explain it. You know, his sloppiness. So so yeah. one of the things that uh, Stranger Things season one, season two, and season three has excelled at is creating characters that are true to their form, true to life. They have authenticity. They have uh, quirks in behavior that don't make them completely uh, above reproach. No one is above reproach. Everyone ha makes mistakes. Everyone feels like they've got enough quirkiness isn't the right word, but um, something very close to that, which, which lends itself to every character in Stranger Things that I've come across, except the ones perhaps that are sort of marginal and on the outside. Um, they, they end up feeling very real. I was actually really nervous in season three that the character that was introduced, uh, Alexi, uh, was going to end up being sort of a super trope of something that was then going to be, oh God, I can't believe that they did this. But the more that it went on, the more that character actually took on an actual life of his own. We're going we're to get to season three. I just, I really want to just kind of well, set no, it up. Well, I'm just, I'm just saying that like the, each one of the, or not each one, but all of the characters, including even the most, even the most ridiculous of characters, 
still feels very authentic all the way through. And, and actually, you know what, you know what episode, or you know what season really did it for me to make that super clear was season two, because in mm -hmm. season two, everybody has to grow and they don't just grow. They, they evolve like actual people evolve because mm -hmm. they're growing. It, 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 they, the writers have done an excellent job in that respect. Well, um, and just to kind of, cause I, I really want to kind of do a, a to get us to season three. So, you know, the two main adults, Hopper and of course, one on the writer's character, Miss uh, Wheeler, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, and then also um, welcome Alex as well as Ben back to the room. Um, the kids, you know, the kids are like perfectly cast. Uh, every kid does a, does a fantastic job. Um, and the one thing I have to say is, you know, when I saw the black kid, you know, initially, uh, when, what the hell? Let me block this guy. Uh oh. Yeah. Sorry about that. Um, uh, when I, uh, when I saw the black kid, every time I'll be honest with you, when I see, you know, uh, People of color in a mostly His white name is Lucas, by the way. Lucas, right? The black kid. Look at me. Like when I see when I see people of color in um, Lucas, right? Uh, when I see people of color in in especially shows where it's mostly Caucasian cast, I always get worried because I always feel like like a lot of times Hollywood doesn't have the best track record. And that's me being nice. I don't know why I'm being nice today. It has a terrible track re record with um, how they depict people of color, right? Right. And so very early on on the show, I think it was like episode one, there was a scene where they were getting bullied and one of the white male characters called a midnight or something like that. So I was sitting there like, okay, it's going to be this. You know, like, it's, oh, okay, this is what this show is going to be, right? And I believe that was the only time where his race was ever mentioned ever on the show. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. that he was able to exist, exist as just a character on the show. Uh, when they tried to, uh, to make Lucas the black character, Winston from Ghostbusters. Oh yeah, that's funny. That was funny. Yeah, that's true. Th that one was too. Um, but I, but I have to give them credit, though, that he's able to just be a character on the show for, for the most part. Right. That he is not, um, you know, that they don't black him, black him on the show. Right. Right. And, and uh, I think it's very important because, uh, you know, that we're able to just be, you know, and, you know, like I said, that one scene in the pilot made me cringe because I'm sitting there like, is this what this show is going to be? A bunch of, you know that going on on the show and when it really didn't wear his head again i was pretty i was actually that kind of really let me enjoy the show even more you know <clears throat> well can, can i speak to why i think that that might have happened mm -hmm. I, I think that might have happened because uh, again you know I, i'm i'm i will praise i haven't about a lot of stuff but in this particular instance I think that the writers actually looked at the way that kids see the world and where it's important we see a grown-up view of things. But most of the show is 
centered around what the kids see. And other than when somebody bullies you or other than when it is convenient to understand what race is, a lot of kids don't actually see things the way that adults do. And so for them, they're not seeing uh, Lucas's race as much as they are seeing Lucas as a member of the party. He, he, I mean, basically he is a part of the group in quotes. And, and that is sort of, it definitely has a bit of sly writing on the back end because it would have been just as easy to keep going with that trope and make it that feel like, oh yeah, that's sort of part or relegate Lucas to um, sort of the um, relegate Lucas to the sort of uh, character equivalent of Winston in the Ghostbusters where, you know, he's kind of important to bring up some things, but he's really not important to the group. Does that make sense? Right. Like, and my, my thing is this, like, I, I'm not one of those people that want to have it where racism doesn't exist and we live in this utopian world, world. but sometimes I think it's cool just to let, sometimes I think in, in this kind of material, to just let people exist in the world where it's not pointed out, oh, he's the, like, right. uh, kind of like, kid. he's the black kid, right? Right. Uh, you know, uh, like, you know, because I forgot his name. Uh, and and, and uh, it's, it's Joyce Byers, I'm sorry, is uh, one of the writer's character. But um, I think, uh, and it, yeah, it's fantasy, right? So, yeah, it is fa- fantasy. So in fantasy, you don't have to, you don't have to do uh, a, uh, it doesn't have to be a situation where, um, you know, it has to be like, oh, well, we're going to always remind you that he's black and that he's going to be treated as another. Right. You know? Right. So it's, it's not like it's like a, a, a hardcore drama about the South in the sixties, you know what I'm saying? So, uh, so I like the fact that he, he's just able to ex- be on the show and that, that made the show better for me. And, um, so, so I love the kids. I love the storyline of season one, uh, you know, season two was really good as well. And, uh, so let's get, let's get to season three because we, we've done this long preamble. So, um, going into the season three, I was worried as I was worried about season two. I honestly did not think season two was going to be as good as it was because they really told a a pretty complete story in season one. So usually when you tell a complete story, there's not much to go to. Right. Uh, And so that means you're just shoehorning stuff in there. Now I heard from someone that they actually had a four to five season plan already. I don't know how true that is. Uh, um, so maybe that's why it, it's, you know, it is as good as it is. But I was, when it when season two was good, I was so surprised because, not because they didn't do great in the first season, just because it seemed like they had exhausted everything they needed to in the first season. And then, okay, so I'm like, okay, they got away with season two. Now on season three, yeah, where can we go with this? That's what I was like. Then when they got to season three, and season three was even better than season two, and it was so awesome of a season, I really had to just tip my cap to to the uh, Duffer brothers. They, you know, they really did a amazing job. And um, I don't know what were you thinking going into season three? Like, 
Or did you have high expectations? Um, <clears throat> to be honest, I don't think that I had very high expectations at all. I was hoping that they would keep up somehow. Um, but like you, I was also definitively surprised and um, I think season three was better season two by miles and miles and miles. Country miles, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it it, it was such a complete, it was such a complete epic. You could almost take season three of Stranger Things and with a tiny bit of preamble at the beginning, you could make that a standalone uh, season with everything that it needed. And that is sort of rare because most seasons of any uh, TV, sh- of any show really, require really lengthy understandings of season one and season two or three or whatever in order to get back into stuff. And this just didn't require it. And uh, again, you know, it does make sense that they had uh, a, a really long plan or maybe even, you know, some kind of story diagram for uh, four seasons going forward. But the, it, in some ways the the season three the the overall arc of season three feels a, a little bit more like okay now we expect that there will be a next season because of the way that they left it off so even even that little uh snip at the very end after the credits there's something that feels a lot more like, oh yeah, we're pretty sure that this is going to go on for next season. Whereas at the end of season two, I, I, I felt like, okay, yeah, you know, this was great. And I'm sure that people will want to see something, but I didn't even know if they would continue with it past season two, because like you said, where do you go? What's next? Right. Um, I would have to say, uh, like I, I've heard some people say that that the the only bad episode was like the first one. I'm like, wait a minute, the first episode was out. That's what got me totally to believe in the new season. Mm-hmm. The first episode was outstanding. It was, and I was like, and it set the tone for the whole season. Like the editing was a was. I mean, it wasn't like the editing was bad before, but the editing in this season was so good. The way that they got in and out of the storyline. The way that they, you know, the music was awesome. The way that they, you know, the just the, the whole production the, was on a higher level. The thing is that unlike uh, unlike a lot of uh, series, and of course this is special because it's Netflix. So mm-hmm. you know there there are some. We should point out that there are some caveats that kind of go along with that. And there's some special. You get some special uh, consideration when you're shooting something this way as opposed to shooting it as like a regular TV series, but that doesn't really excuse some of the other stuff. But it seems like in season three, whatever core that they were working around has become very refined. And so there's an ease, an ease of transition, an ease of uh, character arcs being explained, an ease of, and almost like a comfort level with the material that makes it so much more uh, enjoyable to go through the whole story because we never feel like we're called out by the technical aspects of it. I was even thinking, oh my gosh, we, we talked about the, um, the, there's a scene where they're in the car and, uh, and they're being followed, right? And mm-hmm. there's no way to do that without CGI. Clearly, 
but it didn't even matter that that CGI didn't feel like it was the most important thing of the scene. And so it wasn't sort of like, oh my gosh, we have to pay attention to the CGI because it's going to look terrible or because this or because that. It wasn't even the most important aspect of the scene. There's just something so um, really good at defining what needs to happen in every scene and how to pay attention to the important parts of it that make it enjoyable to watch. I'll give you another example. Um, they, when after they have sort of dealt with a bunch of stuff, um, they're in, uh, um, well, actually I won't jump ahead. I'll just say that from, even from a scripting standpoint, everything felt like it had transitional ease. That was something that I really enjoyed a lot. No, I agree. I definitely agree. And um, and uh, I agree with Stephanie in the chat room. The Starcourt Marl uh, was awesome. Like, if you know, you've been in malls, especially during the 80s, and it had that feel like, yep. it, you know, like, cause, I mean, a lot of us, we spent a lot of time in the mall. You know, that was like the thing. Right. And it had all the stores. Right. Sam Goody. <laughs> right. It, it, it really, you know, gave that feeling. And I love that as a storyline of the malls coming in and and you know hurting the, the 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 businesses you know along the town square. I love that uh, because that's like that was like a real thing that even to this day is a, an issue like with um, Amazon and Walmart and uh, you know you, you know that kind of has that thing that's going on now. But um, and I love the the sneaking into movie theaters. I mean, I don't know if you did that. But when I was a kid, we used to sneak in movie theaters all the time, do the whole open up the back and all that. Yeah. See, yeah. We used to be there all day watching movies and uh, all of that. So um, it, it just gave that really good nostalgic feeling. And they set it up very early on in that first season. And it eased back into the, into the story. Uh, and I thought that was pretty good. So... Um, let's, let's get into the story, the storyline and the story arc of season three. And one thing is, this is always doing callbacks to tropes and stuff that, uh, from the eighties and whatnot. And one of the big things, I know you remember this was a, a lot of younger people may not know this, but the Russians were like the boogeymen of the eighties, right? The, uh, the Russians were the, the boogeymen of the 80s, the Cold War. So uh, every movie, every movie during the 80s, it was something about the Russians, you know, were the bad guys or whatnot. You know, it was um, it was a lot of Russia, uh, uh, like the James Bond movies, all the all the different spy movies. Uh, it was always something with the Russians. And I love how this season really played up. Yeah, they still are, right? They, yeah, they, they kind of went away for a little bit. And then it, and now, right, right, you know. Um, but during the 80s, it was kind of a different thing, well, uh, the, it, the, the way that it was. The thing is that in, the 80s, yeah. in the 80s, it was actually a bit of a panic. It was a panic in the same way that I hear my uh, parents and, uh, and my grandparents talk about, like, uh, the Bay of Pigs. 
it it was it was actually scary because a lot of people believe that the Russians had their fingers on the nukes and th- at any moment that could be the end. Like tensions were so huge that, oh, okay, well, they've got control. So who knows what might happen? And, uh, you know, one of the things that I love about Stranger Things is how they do all these shout outs of the, um, all of the movies and all of the pop culture that sort of support their whatever it is that they're trying to say. So there's all of these little shout outs to things like war games and there's shout outs to things that that sort of were the typification of why people were so nervous and scared of the Russians. The, the, the uh, Terminator. And the, yeah, <laughs> great. That was totally great. Uh, okay. Uh, uh, oh, that's right. Uh, uh, D. Um, we're going to be talking about season three of Stranger Things. So if you haven't finished it, you, you, you're probably going to get spoiled. <laughs> so, uh, but um, anyway, so but I love that the Terminator character. And it was pretty obvious in the beginning. And I love the I love how they, you know, they did the, the, the different Terminator aspects to it. And that was pretty cool. Um, so. So I'm, I'm, I'm totally going to betray how old I am right now. Uh, which may or may not be a good thing. But, um, I mean, Stranger Things basically was my childhood. Just a little bit before, but I, I mean, I, I could follow along with every single thing that was happening almost as if I were those kids. They would be, like, just a little bit older than I was, but not by much. And so, well, like, I actually was trying to do the math about how, old it would make everybody and everything that they sort of go through in terms of what pop culture is at the time I absolutely positively experienced and so I do have a different kind of nostalgic bias towards Stranger Things but I feel like so much of the 80s has become mainstream pop culture in sort of the you know everything that's old is new again that people really really like that aspect to it without it even need, needing to be nostalgic you know and I, and I think the mall is one of them because who goes to the mall anymore uh, it's not quite like it was but i mean i guess I, I try to stay away from malls to be honest with you at this point if i if i it's almost like i have to go when i go but uh, it used to be you, you went that's where i i met the most girls at I, you know, we would go to the mall and try to see how many numbers we could get and all of that kind of stuff. So we used to call people who went to the mall all the time mall rats. That they were just mall rats. Which is the name of episode two. But um, I gotta say, <laughs> I gotta, and it was a movie, a Kevin Smith movie too. Oh, that's uh, right. That's right. I have to say, in season two, I did not like the character Billy. Did not like him at all. Uh, I don't think I cared for. The, the overall character, right? Uh, the actor, you know, I thought he was cool or whatever. He did a good job. But, I, you know, I was just kind of like whatever about him. And, it, and the way that they brought him in, him and Max, it, it, it just kind of was like, eh, I don't know about these characters. But it paid off in season three. It did. And as, even though Billy's still an asshole, but he's a 
invasion of the body snatcher asshole, <laughs> you know, for the most part during the season uh, two. But first of all, the actor Declan Montgomery, Deckard or whatever the hell his name is, uh, I think it's Deckard or something. Wait, uh, Deckard. He's uh, Australian too. I've seen some interviews with him. Dude was really good. The guy can act pretty, pretty good. Uh, and and I thought he really was great. They really gave him a great, like, uh, his arc was awesome and the way that, uh, and he killed it. He killed it. He was just really good. And, uh, you know, I, I, I have to interject something and say that uh, I actually, I actually liked, not that I liked who the character was in season two, but I did really like Billy in season two, uh, mostly because I understood that from a, protagonist slash antagonist role there was a very careful line that they had to draw to make billy not turn into something bigger than what was happening in the main uh in in the main storyline and they did that very deftly that was a really good i think they did a really good job with it but also because i I recognize how difficult it really is to play the quote-unquote villain in any story it's it, it's not as easy as it seems. It, I feel like th- it could have easily been so over the top and they did a really good job of pulling it back in to make it feel like it was super personal instead of something, um, you know, something bigger than that. And then in season three, the payoff, like you said, was that this very fully defined character who we already know has his he's slimy in all kinds of different ways we're not exactly upset to see him go through his transformation and be the most terrible thing out there but at the same time think about how you feel at the very end with what happens to him and why that really matters why it matters to us that billy dies at the end is sort of i think a real again a really brilliant kind of writing trick because we, by all rights, we shouldn't care at all. We shouldn't. Am I wrong? Uh, no, you're right. And uh, they gave, they, I mean, they really hooked him up in that second season. I mean, the third season. And uh, now it kind of feels like it was a plan. Like, okay, we're going to bring them in now. And then it's going to really pay off because, yep. you know, now but on the flip side, I know we're not going to agree on this one. Oh, I didn't like Max. Max is annoying as hell to me. Don't you think she was written that way by design, though? That's what I'm saying. I don't yeah. like her character. <laughs> like her, every time she talks, it makes my the it makes my uh, my nose damn near bleed. I mean, she's annoying. That that's an annoying character. Well. Uh, I- I do think she was written to be annoying. I do. I think that that is a thing, but I also think that her being annoying is also uh, an important part of the character matrix. No, I mean, I'm not saying, look, she's, she, you know, she's a fine enough actress. So it's not that. And, you know, whether it's written to be that way or not, I just don't like it when she speaks. <laughs> so, <laughs> like it's, it's pretty annoying. So um, I just not a big fan of the Max character. I didn't love her when they brought her in the last season. And 
unlike her big brother, who's a complete jerk. But, you know, I don't like his I didn't like his character either. But I liked what I mean is I don't root for his character or anything like that. But I just like what they did with his character. So even though his character is not likable, but it's the way it's held, the way it was handled was very well done. Um, not to say, I just, you know, I'm not in love with the Max character. I don't, I don't. It was way more relatable, though, in terms of, well, even, no, that's not true. I won't say that. I, I think Max was relatable in one way and Billy was relatable in another way. I've known tons of people like Billy over the course of my lifetime. And, ugh, you know, you, sometimes you eye roll, sometimes you just push those people out of your life. And sometimes you sort of just have to deal with them. But the Max character was actually a little bit more interesting because I, I, again, I just personally feel like it takes somebody like Max to be a, a friend slash equal, forget the supernatural stuff, to be with, uh, to, to basically be the counter um, that that she needed to be for Eleven. Because if, if Eleven so quirky on her own that I don't I can't imagine anybody else pulling out of that mall would have been able to friend Max in the I mean I'm sorry friend um 11 that way other than Max no I mean I I definitely agree with you she served her purpose and I'm not saying that she's a character that maybe shouldn't be on the show or nothing I just you know she just is annoying to me that's all but but the actress is fine you know uh and uh you know I, I guess she's a necessary evil on the show. <laughs> and it, it really helped. Her presence obviously helps with Billy uh, through the arc of the, the, the third season as well. Definitely. So you need her character. But I'm just saying I, I don't enjoy her character. Now, let's go to Steve. Steve, although he was, you know, a douchebag in season one and to, to some degree in season two, uh, not as much. Um, I never disliked Steve to the point where when he came on screen, I was just like, oh, God, fast forward. You know what I mean? <laughs> and to be honest with you, in season three, Steve is one of my favorite characters. Like, uh, yeah. they did a really great job of, and it felt natural, the more metamorphosis of Steve to become the, the character that he is. And I right. like they addressed the whole uh, him and uh, Nancy Wheeler's, um, you know, past love, you know, and like, because, you know, like, that he's not really gotten over it, but he's moved on. And I, you know, I just really liked, and, and think about, I love this, this, this uh, storyline because it's like how many guys or women, you know, especially guys who was the man in high school, like they're the man, you know, they get all, yeah. the, all the girls like them. They, you know, they just run, run it. And then they have a hard time transitioning out of high school. Now they're not the man. You know, not every girl falls on their feet when he walks into the room. They're like, he, he looks goofy now, you know, and that's kind of what happened with Steve is Steve was the man. And now he's like, he works at the, you know, what's that place called? Uh, 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 uh huh. Ahoy. Yeah, scoops. scoops Ahoy. Thank you. And he looks like a, a, a goofball the whole season, <laughs> you know, and I love it. I love it. I thought that was great. I, and, um, and, uh, drawing a blank on uh, his co-worker who uh, was there through the whole season. Uh, Robin. Robin. Uh, literally Robin to his Batman, I guess. Um, <laughs> you know, at first I didn't like her 
like she was kind of annoying. And then as the season went along, I, you know, you, you start to like her, which okay. was cool. So, so a li- little bit of trivial fact about Robin, because I had to go find out who this, this character really was. Um, she's actually the daughter of Uma Thurman and Ethan Hawke. That's pretty amazing. She's got some pretty powerful parents. There. Yeah, I, I actually remember Ethan Hawke was doing an interview and he was gushing about his daughter's nice. career. And uh, and then he mentioned on an interview that she got a, this big role, but he couldn't say what it was or something I, like that. So. I love that. And, and actually, so uh, this uh, this brings me to uh, sort of one central point for me, which the, the, there is a pivotal scene between um, between Robin and Steve. It happens. I even posted this all across my social media because I loved it so much. They are in the bathroom and they it, it, Steve has an aha moment about Robin. It, it there is something that was so dynamic about that particular scene that it reminded me of why Stranger Things is so good. And it sort of all boils down to that crazy, unbelievable things are happening. Stranger Things never loses the focus of who is important. And it is always the characters and their relationships to each other. It, the 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 elements of everything else, no matter how big they are, are never overshadowing the characters and their relationships. And that one scene was, in my mind, a kind of perfection, both in script writing and in editing. It was just, it was so dynamic that it's, I can't even imagine anything sort of taking its place and being that perfect. I've seen so few scenes that rise to that level. Uh, And it's just that to me, it just reminds me about why Stranger Things is so awesome altogether. I I, want to ask you one question because this sort of goes back to an editing issue. So the one big uh, complaint that I have heard from a lot of people, and I feel like they missed the point of the scene is the 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 place where Dusty is singing, and they're, they they sing the never ending story, and I wanted to ask you how did you feel about Dusty and Susie in that scene? The great season, the great show. No, it was one of the best scenes ever on the show. I'm with you. It, I am totally with you. It was. Um, it was perfect, actually. And because some people, you know, they were talking about it was hokey and stuff. That's the point. It was supposed yep. to be hokey. That's what the yep. show is. Like, like you haven't been paying attention. Like, that scene was, I mean, you kind of saw it coming. I mean, not necessarily that particular. You knew that, I mean, you always knew from the beginning that somehow she was going to come in to play. Right. At the very end. I figured it was always going to be at the very end. But the way that they did it, I thought was really cool. Uh, uh, I don't know if she's uh, up there with Phoebe. What's her name? Phoebe Cates. Uh, <laughs> but uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, but uh, um, no. But I thought that was I thought that was awesome because you know uh, Dustin is a, a singer. Well, the guy who plays Dustin uh, is a singer, and he actually I think he I saw something where he's releasing some singles that coming up soon. 
and he's a theater kid, so he done musical theater. So it was all it was a good way to use a talent that he has, and it was very it was a great scene. And it and and those moments are the moments for me that that um will stick out, you know. And I thought it was great. I mean, I, I couldn't see how anybody wouldn't have liked that scene, especially, you know, I can see if if we're talking about we're watching a show like if we're watching Breaking Bad and then somehow, you know, uh, Walt just starts breaking out in the song, you know, <laughs> like that would be kind of strange. Right. Well, you know? OK, so so let me phrase the criticism or let me couch the, the criticism the way that I understand people uh, were sort of on about it, because I think that this is this is why for some people it is hard to enjoy Stranger Things. Be, be, and I'll, I'll tell you sort of what I think at the end of it. But basically what they said across social media was that that particular uh, scene lowered the Stranger Things story down to a kind of uh, juvenile feel that it, you know, it felt like uh, a Barney sing-along. Um, I'm trying to remember some of the other ones, but they were just as sort of demeaning about how that presentation was created but uh, but on the flip side of that uh according to uh, i i think it was spotify I, I can't remember a couple of um platforms that where you, you request music the never-ending story theme song has rocketed to a number one request across those uh those media streams which tells you that people really are paying attention the the thing that i think that or the reason that I think that people thought it was juvenile is because they at, are not looking at Stranger Things, a mechanism of storytelling using nostalgia as the, the, the base, as the core. They're looking at it with the grumpy old, you know, get off my lawn kind of feel. And you're never happy with Stranger Things if that's the case. It's always... The, the the one criticism that I have gotten, not that I've gotten, but that I keep reading over and over again about Stranger Things is that it focuses too much on uh, on kids and they're not relatable. And I in my head, I'm always thinking, well, why are they not relatable? But I think it's because at a certain point, people decide that characters or children don't have the same quality to them as characters that like they become unrelatable simply because don't find that to be enjoyable but for the most part nothing that any of the the nothing any of the characters do as kids are not relatable to what we do as adults not one thing do you know what i mean about that uh i have to mute because uh it's so hot i gotta turn on my fan every um oh no time. so that's a, so please forgive me i'm trying to be quicker with it so i won't be any lag but and i don't know if you look it, when i had the fan going it looked like my napkins back there were on fire i don't know if you noticed that. <laughs> i looked back i was like what the hell is that a fire and i look back and it's just the way it looks the glare or whatever but uh, so um so so kinte whenever you need to cool down just let me know and i'll launch into a soliloquy oh, oh hey i might I might need a three-hour soliloquy to be honest with you. But, um, <laughs> man, it's hot, you know. So, um, but um, some people are just gonna dislike something 
they're just looking for reasons to to hate and their default is that it sucks and i just that is annoying to me when people's default look i'm critical as you know i'm very critical and but one thing i try not to be i try not to be critical in a way where my default is criticism like sometimes sometimes you know like just in like people are not it's like someone who goes to a comedy club not to laugh you know what i mean it's like you ever you ever see that where they just go in there like i'm gonna none of these motherfuckers are gonna be funny you know what i mean like that kind of thing well, right, but but what's so strange is for people to wait until season three to say, "Oh, this is just to- this is just too juvenile," because I mean, this was actually the most grown-up season that we've had so far. So far, season one dealt with basically a Dungeons and Dragons campaign. Season two expanded on that with a lot of uh, supernatural other. It- it's stuff with the with like you said the big conspiracy things happening and then season three is basically about the evolution of what it is to be a kid and grow up or grow into your evolving roles in life and how to deal with that and it's so crazy to me that what they find to criticize it in especially in season three wasn't vocal in season one or season two. I just found that to be silliness. Just like you said, it was just people complaining to complain. Yeah. So, but you know what? Screw those people. Uh, I thought the season was awesome. Um, let's let's. You talk- know, I, I wanted. To- go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, well, no. Go I was going to ask about. I was going to ask about how. Okay, so I, I really, I, I know that we want to, and so do I, because. That's another thing that I heard a lot of criticism about. I heard a lot of criticism about Hopper and um, and how Joyce reacts to him. But I really want to first, before we get into that, I really wanted to get your take on what did you think about um, about Murray and about uh, Alexi. I, I I really want to know what you, mean you took away from. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, Alexi was the bad guy. He was the he was the the big. The big guy, the guy that wouldn't die, the Terminator. Oh, okay. Um, okay, so let's start off with Smirnoff. Smirnoff. <laughs> Smirnoff, you know, at first, you know, he was just, you know, scientist character, not really, you know, thinking much about him. And as it went on, like, you really started liking the guy. Like, you know what I mean? Even though he really didn't talk much. You know, uh, the guy was a really good actor because he's acting. First of all, he's acting without speaking too much. You know, the way that he would emote and the way that, you know, he actually they got this really great performance out of the guy where, you know, you actually started to like him. And and I love the, the Slurpee, you know. Where he went, he he. They gave him a strawberry Slurpee, and he's like, "Only will drink cher- cherry." And then uh, he's like, "No, he's gonna he's gonna drink that one." And then it turned out, yeah, I like strawberry too. Like I lo- I love that. I, I thought that was really good. Um, to the point when his spoiler alert, when his character died, I actually felt it was like a Bob moment almost. Not quite to yeah, the 
when he got, I was like, oh, they killed Smirnoff. Like, I was like, uh, I actually felt bad for Smirnoff when he got killed. And then when Murray, you know, has that moment where he realizes that he's been shot, you know, and because remember, they start out at odds because, you know, you brought that commie into my my home. Um, That's right. And he was, you know, sad when he eventually were to die. I thought that was just, a, you know, I thought it was really good. I, I enjoyed it because that was could have been a real nothing character. And he did a great job with it. Uh, Murray, I enjoyed Murray a lot. I thought Murray was funny. I thought I really enjoyed how they used him in there. I thought they were just going to use him for just a pop up. He just happened to speak Russian and then that was going to be it. And then, you know, they would leave and go back. I enjoyed how they pulled him through the whole thing. He was funny. You know, yeah. the guy was very funny. I liked him better in season three than even season two. And he was good in season two. Um, and that was a character that I, I just assumed you would never see from, you know, I was shocked when he pulled back up, you know, that, oh, they're going to use these characters, which I love. You establish these characters, use them, right? So right. I enjoyed Mur Murray quite a bit. He was hilarious. And he, and one thing he did was he broke up the tension between Hopper and uh, Joyce. Which I thought was cool, you know, because they're going exactly. at each other, they're dealing with unrequited love. So, you know, and then I so, love it when you just call the thing a thing and and point out what was going on. Murray is um, Murray is the quintessential character translator, and I don't just mean from English to Russian. He actually sees into the situation and then calls it like it is, and that is. Uh, it, it's rare for that to sort of work be, without that character seeming like they are just uh, <laughs> like they're just the next position. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Right. And and instead, it really comes off as being very authentic. Some of those moments were just, they, especially in the car. That one scene in the car just crushed it. I, I really loved that. And mm -hmm. also, his name was Alexi. It, it, that that was I did remember it right. No, no, I, no. I I know you remembered it right, but remember they kept referring to him as Smirnoff. They did, yes, right. yes. So that, that that was just a joke. And, you know, you were saying it properly. The the, but, the uh, Terminator guy was uh was the other one. Um, they didn't refer to him by name too often, but the, that that was the that that was the big loop. Uh, I don't know what to call him. The Terminator character, big ass Russian dude. Yeah, the big Russian dude. <laughs> I like how you. You uh, censored my uh, translation. That's pretty cool. Um, and we're going to get to uh, about what we think about what happened with Hopper. I see it in the chat room. Um, but I just wanted to get to a couple of things, and then we'll get into that. Um, let's let's talk about Eleven. Um, and then we're going to circle back to Hopper. and jo Actually, can, can we close with Joyce and Hopper's arc and what ultimately happened? Like That'll be one of the last things we'll do. And then I, okay. I I want to talk about eleven. Um, I'm not eleven was I had an okay season I thought. Um, even though I love you know I love her character I love that actress she's amazing. Um, but you know I mean I like the relationship between um her and Mike. Um, even though if I was Hopper I'd have beat the crap out of both of them. The way they were disrespecting him, you know, in the beginning, like I don't like I'd have, yeah, she wouldn't, I would have used, she wouldn't have been able to use them powers on me the way I'd have got them. But, um, they're kids, 
not, but you know, to be dis look, the way I was raised. Oh gosh. The way I was raised, okay, I would have never thought to disrespect my mama like that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I would have never he's yeah, he's afraid of losing her like his daughter. I understand. Yeah, that's why he don't go too hard. Um, but I would have like there's no way in hell I would have disrespect my mother or my father like that. You know what I mean? I wouldn't even be here right now. You'd be talking to a ghost. So, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's like something. That would make, huh? make a really interesting podcast, by the way. Like, cursing at my parents? Are you kidding me? I'm Look, I'm fully grown, and I wouldn't do that now. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It, like, I'm know, scared it, now, okay? <laughs> it's a delicate line. It's a delicate line. It, and I think, I think a lot of people will recognize that there is that that it is that by doing that it hoppers real inexperience at being a parent right, right. that they disrespect well the, the the disrespect i don't think was it wasn't over the line but it but it was testing they were testing it was way of, over the line hey, what, okay. what's that it was way over the line well, it, you're right, but testing the boundaries and going over the line is part of, you know, I'm a mom of three, so I kind of know this stuff, but it's it's what, this is what happens, and you get a number of different options about how you choose to respond, and sometimes it's, you know, sometimes it's what Hopper did, and sometimes it's something completely different. I think that they actually did a lot of uh, some character development with Hopper by making him seem so unsure do in that and i mean the fact that he addresses uh mike instead of addressing 11 directly everything that happened in that particular piece was actually really no, no it was very well done i do agree i'm just saying it makes me cringy because of how i was raised you know like i was a kid in the 80s remember that and uh i would have not been an adult in the 90s if I acted like that, <laughs> I'm just saying, all right, all right. My mama and my daddy would have killed me. I'm just saying, that's me. But, um, but you know, I I get it, you know, because in the chat room, it uh, says she doesn't really have a sense of boundaries like normal kids who have been raised normally. I, I I understand that. I'm just saying, it just made me cringe. It's you know, as someone who would have, you know, uh, I mean, don't get me wrong, I wasn't a saint, but I wasn't an asshole. <laughs> you know, so, so I, I had to wait till I became an adult to be a, a, a bona fide ad. But um, so uh, no, but I thought it was great though, uh, those scenes because it really established, you know, yeah. See, she said her daddy would have vaporized it, right? So, um, so you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, but um, you know, um, I but I, I really enjoyed that though that. Because it really fit what was, you know, they're, what are they, about 13 now? Something like that-ish? 13-ish? Yeah, 13, 14, somewhere in that range. Right. So um, it really fit, like, these kids who are, you know, getting older and being mature and making out and all of that kind of stuff. So, like, um, uh, like you know, I've never, like, I never could have a girl in my bedroom at that age. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, that was not happening. You know, like, and she would have had to sneak through the window. 
or I'd have sneaked through her window or something like that, you know. But um, uh, I love though, you know. But it's a special situation, right? Because of what's going on and all of that, and he's not really supposed to be out in the public and all of that kind of stuff. So, so um, I really enjoy, you know, because he really loves her, and and she's kind of like the, I don't want to say replacement daughter for the one he lost, but I mean, you know, like it's almost like his opportunity to do it again, you know. Well, I- Right, and, and and I think it, it and actually for Hopper, I think it has less to do. Eleven has less to do with with sort of being the replacement or the um, or the 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 stand-in, and more like a second chance. And the, to me, when I see it through that kind of lens, it makes me feel like it makes me actually feel even more heartbroken for Hopper. But but the, there's there's something quintessentially that I think we're missing with the the Hopper Eleven sort of feeling, and that is, I, I, I this was an accidental situation. I don't think that Hopper set out to to become a quote unquote dad. He fell into this role because he is the person that he is, and in that way, there is something very authentic in the relationship that grew out of that. And in season two, that's, I mean, that's basically what we see. And in that final letter that, you know, is said that, that she reads from him, where he says, you know, he really misses nostalgically the, the times when they made their ego creation. It speaks to a kind of, um, there's a renewal that it was going on there that I feel like was healthy for both of them. And then as she started to grow, he wasn't ready to let go. That's really super typical of a lot of parents. But I feel like it was even more profound here because it was his second chance. And I sort of feel like maybe he thought that he was blowing it. Like he, And maybe that's why he even let Mike stay there. Because he felt like, oh, okay, well, if I don't, then just that I might lose her uh, uh, you know, love maybe, well, I don't know if that's actually the right word, but maybe, maybe, you know, I won't be able to communicate this properly, but also because, you know, maybe he was trying to sort of make up for something that he felt that didn't happen the last time that he was in this kind of situation. I don't know. It just seems like it's way more complex than just one little thing on the surface. And I also feel like we kind of get to that when, Joyce and Hopper are talking drugstore and you know she's kind of giving him a parent cliff notes about how to approach the situation was it it, to a complexity with Hopper yeah you know the how do you feel about the Enzo the Enzo scene he bought that you know first of all I know you were turned on by that shirt he had uh did he did he present special bought for his uh, his uh, you know date that he was supposed to have had at Enzo, which sounds like a, just a charming restaurant. That was the sweetest thing ever. Right. So, uh, how did you feel for him when uh, she didn't show up and all of that? Well, you know, it's funny. Okay, so I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna give you kind of you know my my Hopper four one one about the, especially in this uh, in this season. So in some ways, I never actually really feel very bad for Hopper because I feel like he's such a product of his own making. He does stuff and then that is 
basically he reaps what he sows. But there's also a part of Hopper which feels as as uh, innocent isn't the right word, but maybe naive is not a better word in the sense that he is always so ready to put himself out there and and is always so surprised about feeling uh, let down and sad when it doesn't turn out the way that wants it to and it's so endearing it's it's I don't know there's something so special about that reaction that he has when she doesn't show up that's like it's so the the fact that he can't let it go speaks to how high his expectations were of that situation I mean I think so yeah it was uh yeah I felt bad for him you know and uh you know, and and remember, she had just dealt with losing Bob. And, That's right. Uh, I feel nothing. <laughs> um, so. Well, well, she 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 had just she had just lost Bob, but I think more than that, and I, I mean, I'm not you know I'm not defending sort of the the Joyce has a, a big she's there's a lot of conundrums about Joyce, but uh, one of the things that I think happens is. Joyce has been through three seasons of just nothing but trauma, constant trauma, uh, especially, obviously, with her kid. But more than that, I think, you know, she has to have her own kind of come to reckoning moments about what's happening in her own life and whether she's really in charge of it. And when she says, when she, when she basically chooses to figure this other stuff out, in in and she doesn't show up at the restaurant it feels to me like it's not just that she's taking charge of her life but maybe that for the first time she's actually thinking differently than she has been thinking in the past and I, I'm, I know it let Hopper down and I feel very bad for Hopper but I also feel like in that moment it was sort of Joyce being empowered and I, it's hard for me to fault her about that Uh, I know we said that we were going to save them for last, but uh, no, you, you, no, you make great points there. Um, okay, so um, I, we'll circle back. Uh, I want to really get into the... Uh, let's, we're going to get into the kids, but before we do that, let's talk about Nancy Wheeler and... Um, and uh, Jonathan Byers, um, working at the uh, Hawkins uh, uh, newspaper. First of all, when I saw um, I saw Jake Busey, I was like, oh, I was, you know, I, I think Jake Busey is a, he's a good actor for what he does, you know, and uh, I really enjoyed him, you know. The I was I was thinking maybe he would have a bigger role in, in on the show, but I thought it was pretty cool. Uh, those first of all for a such a small town that newspaper has a huge staff <laughs> you know it's quite a bit of people that work at the uh, Hawkins uh newspaper and apparently they they have a very fine collection of uh douchebags that work at the Hawkins newspaper like i think yeah. one that's for sure they were everybody was a jerk and uh, you know, uh, Nancy Drew. You know they kept calling her Nancy Drew and all that. And 
I really enjoyed that aspect of the show. And I'm glad that it didn't last. You know, it. I think it was perfect to have in the beginning. And then it kind of went away. And it went away, especially when, you know, they got killed off, you know, uh, in the hospital. And I thought it definitely served its purpose. Uh, how do you feel about Nancy and Jonathan and their relationship? You had your, uh, you had your, uh, you know, you've got your, uh, this particular situation really annoyed me and it didn't annoy me because uh, it annoyed me for, for reasons that I felt like um, it, it was so annoying to see Nancy uh, dissed. That was, oh God, that really drove me crazy. But it also sort of, the two of them together seemed simultaneously ready to take on the world and incredibly short-sighted at every moment. It, it just, I don't know, there was something about that relationship that drove me absolutely up the wall. I, I can't describe exactly what it was other than there was something that, that felt like it was missing out of that relationship, right? Does that make sense? No, it makes perfect sense. And um, I would say that, uh, I would say that, although like those guys were definitely misogynists and assholes, but I can understand why they would be slow to want to take what she has to say with, you know, any merit. Because she was, you know, she'd barely been there and she, it wasn't like she was, you know, like you have to get to a certain point where people start really taking you serious. Right. There was a meaningful glee to the way that they, that they, uh, oh, no doubt. No doubt. No doubt. But, but I, I can understand why they wouldn't take her serious too, though. Um, because I mean, think about the story she was pitching. It sounds crazy right. as hell, you know. Right. So, um, but um, you know, but of course, they, it was a little, it was extra on there because they were, they were complete di- dickheads. Um, and Jonathan, Jonathan, sometimes you like Jonathan, and most times to me, he's, he is a little annoying too. Um. Do you believe though that they're a couple? Like, is it believable to you that they would fall for each other? I, uh, I mean, sort of it does in the same way that like Stockholm syndrome is kind of a thing. Like, it sort of feels like okay, yeah, you know, they're put together, they're going through some crazy, crazy experiences, and sometimes those situations definitely pull people together in ways that you wouldn't expect. On the other hand, there is. There is a, 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 I don't know, that I think maybe that's what it was. There's such a strange chemistry between the two of them that doesn't quite make me feel like it matters. Like, I think they care about each other, but I feel like they care about each other almost like brother and sister. And each other like, uh, like anything else. They feel like they are um, more how did you say it in the beginning um like like a, a batman and rock you're the there's the lead and then there's kind of like the partner and you guys support each other and you really care about each other and you're willing to go to all kinds of distances in order to make stuff work but at the same time 
there isn't really anything underneath that that's you know heavy uh romantic i guess i mean the like the feelings just seem like they shouldn't i don't know they're just no the answer is no i don't feel like he's no steve he's no steve huh he's no steve he's no steve (laughs) he's kind of like the fantasy he's the nerd fantasy like the girl like she would be uh steve is no steve hilarious like you know like the the girl would choose (laughs) the nerdy uh creepy guy over the you know the guy that you know everybody wants you know that that kind of thing it's kind of a fantasy trope i think you know maybe yeah although although i will say that jonathan actually lent a lot to the actual plot development i mean i think having jonathan be a a character in his own right it's it's not like i thought in season three he was diminished in any way but it felt like his role was really to sort of prop Nancy up instead of him going out and doing his own thing. It was, it, it, and it wasn't, I think until the mall uh, at the, I'm sorry. Well, there's the mall was a lot, but it wasn't until the end um, when they're in the mall and they have to get the part for the car that I realized how, sort of forthright that really was it really was nancy kind of standing on her own and jonathan being sort of the support character for her instead of jonathan being uh sort of having his own a plot line himself right uh in the in the chat room she says she can see a future with jonathan jonathan and nancy's super driven versus Steve working at an ice cream stand and couldn't even do his homework in school. But you know what, though? I I would say, Stephanie, I would say, Stephanie, although Jonathan might be going somewhere, but Steve could get her free ice cream in perpetuity. So you can't... Come on now, free ice cream? I'm just saying... Okay, actually, it would have to be free video rentals, which at this point is well. I mean, I mean, during the ice cream stand (laughs) error of his life, she could have now it's free rental. Look, (laughs) rental, like, yeah, you she can rent whatever movie she wants now, you know. So, um, okay, so let's get into um, because before we go, we've been going at it for a while. Uh, but you can see the, the paired Steve with the girl he never even noticed in school. Same dynamic, right? Right, you're right, 100%. Yeah, um, yeah it's that fantasy crap. Uh, um, all right, so let's let's get into the, the, the storyline because uh, we don't we don't want to be here forever. Um, what do you think about the, the villain? Well, speak for yourself, I'm super excited to be here forever. Oh, okay, Good. okay. Uh, what do you think about the the villain in this season, the mind flare, and um, the storyline? And was it clear? Was it very clear to you what was going on um, throughout the season? And did you understand, you know, what the mind flare was trying to accomplish? And ultimately, did you? Because I, I, there was a lot of talk that people were a little confused to the plot line of, and and exactly what the villain in this uh, season was besides the, 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 obviously the Russians, but I mean, the mind flare. Right. Yeah. And well, confused I, the rat, the rats too. Yeah. yeah. 
if you so if you're if you're a super nerd and you approach this like it's a Dungeons and Dragons campaign and you go back and you sort of look at what the mind flayer is then it kind of makes some sense but I personally can understand why people were confused by what was supposed to be happening like it it always been uh an aha moment where we understood what the i'm going to use this word in quotes but what the motive of the mind flayer really was fortunately it wasn't i don't think conveyed as well as it should have been because they allow for a lot of the actions to speak for what the intention i do think that and this is one of the effects of having such awesome characters is that we were paying attention so much to the characters and all of their awesome arcs that some of the uh, pieces to the story, some of the pieces to the narrative that needed to kind of fall into place were kind of falling by the wayside altogether. I mean, you know, at one point, my uh, one of my observations was it it felt like they were trying to push too many supernatural pieces together in too short of a time and because they did it the way that they did it nothing ever felt like it was going to come to fruition so i mean we had sort of the portal um we had you know okay well what's going to happen when they open the rift and that of course is very supernatural in and of itself and then we have Eleven's powers, which are also very supernatural. Then we have the Mind Flare, which is also very supernatural. And then we have the Billy uh, dynamic that fits into the Mind Flare. And none of that sort of felt like it was all lining up together. I, it's not, it did work. I mean, by the end, it did make sense. But I think throughout the, the, the season, in individual episodic pieces, I think it did feel a little bit disconnected. Did you feel that way? And usually when you feel like that, you're like, oh, this is a, just a big jumble mess. But it was so well done that even though I was kind of confused at points, and I'm pretty bright. And I did have, we like, I did have, there were some times I'm like, okay, what's going on? Like, who's this? And who's that? Uh, it started to connect when Nancy went to the hospital to ch yeah check on the old lady and that stuff was pretty. That right. first of all, that was creepy as hell. By the way, uh, <laughs> that that was, that was yeah, that was real creepy. Um, but like I said, I'm pretty swift, and I was a little confused. I was like, "What's going on here?" Uh, but then you know, and the rats, you know, in the beginning, which anyone who knows me knows that I hate rats. I don't I don't even I don't like Ratatouille. <laughs> okay, I wouldn't watch that. So, you know, that's not one of my favorite uh things in the world. So, um but um so it was a little confusing what was going on. So, um but you know what? I was enjoying the ride. So I was enjoying the ride, so therefore I didn't um you know, I just let it come to me and by the end I kind I got what was going on. But it was a little, yeah, the, the whole mind flare thing. Because there was a part where where, um, where Will uh, kind of explains the whole thing with the mind flare and all of that. And, right. Uh, yeah, that was supposed to be us getting the information, you know? Well, 
and see, and if you've ever got, see, I really am actually a kid of the eighties. If you've ever actually played Dungeons and Dragons, I've never played. Um, well, see that you'll have to come over so we can do a, a grown-up session of Dungeons and Dragons. Totally awesome. Um, the, so the um, the the there's there's a lot of stuff about the mind player. Well, it, it's not you know the, the thing is that it, that's kind of uh, a misnomer. Mind flayers are are not um, they're 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 like a what's the word I'm looking for? Mind flayers are a sort of a uh, a not a species, but like uh, like like a different kind of race altogether. And part of the reason that the mind flayer worked in in this particular uh, episode is because the again going back to sort of what you know about sort of the the underlying lore, mind flayers are always lawful evil. And so, in an alignment chart, lawful evil means that they have to adhere by certain codes and standards, even though they always work toward the, the evil side, the side that is not aligned with good. And, but they still follow a very rigid code and that really came out. I mean, somebody did their homework. It really came out in the way that the, the, the mind flayer worked through all of the other characters. It, it, it definitely, didn't do things it wasn't supposed to it didn't take shortcuts that I feel like they you know anybody else could have taken um and it and just from a uh the standpoint of sort of what its intent was that's where it gets a little um nebulous because although there's some explanation from Will about what this actually means it, there isn't sort of the overarching, oh, okay, well, this is easy to understand why it's here and what it's doing because it's so mixed up with a lot of other stuff. And, the, and this idea that it's stuck on this side makes you have to, you know, really pull back into, well, what does it mean to be stuck on this side? And, and how does that even work? Why would that even be? And especially in light of what happened in season two, right? Does that make sense so far? You know, now that you explain kind of what the mind flare is, I feel like I've dated some mind flares over the years. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, I'm really sorry. I hope their tentacles didn't get in the way. You know what? That was the best part of the relationship was that their tentacles, but oh, wow. uh, we won't go into that because it's <laughs> TV, but, but uh, yeah, totally. It's it, it's also uh, mind players are also I think in the Dungeons and Dragons lore they're one of the few types they're one of the few archetypes that could work I think against eleven and that's one of the reasons that it actually worked here because they have this incredible uh, psionic power and the psionic power is sort of an equal to eleven and that feels like okay yeah that's the way it's supposed to be because because everything else against eleven would have probably not stood a chance. So if they're going to keep up with the same Dungeons and Dragons lore, they have to come up with something that actually has the ability to do all of those things like, you know, uh, the, some amounts of clairvoyance, some amounts of psionic, um, the, the ability to command things to its attention, all that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. Um, the, is it to me, does it seem like her powers, I know in the end she lost her powers, but... Um, the way that she was able to 
you know, use her. This seemed like her powers were elevated this season. Like, um, maybe I need to rewatch the first two seasons, but it seemed like she could do a lot more with her powers, you know? Um, or I don't want to say a lot more because these are things that they already established that she can do, but she was, it seemed a little more powerful this season. Does that seem like that to you? Well, I don't know if she seemed more powerful or if it just seemed like, as with most things in the character arcs, that she's much more comfortable using the powers. And so it feels not just effortless, but then also like she's got a greater command of them. I, I feel like that's just an ease. That's her ease. That's her growing into the fact that she's got these powers and can use them more readily on command, but they don't seem any greater than they were before. It's just a little bit less effortless. If I want to date a woman with uh, telekinesis, uh, definitely a commitment, isn't it? Yeah, that's a like, I don't know if I want a woman that can throw me across the room with her mind. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know, man. Uh, <laughs> And if I what if I don't take out the trash, she's gonna what lift me up and <laughs> make me take out the trash. Well, on, on the positive <laughs> side, on the positive side, if you date someone with telekinesis, they can take out the trash without ever touching it. So. You know what? You're right. I'm like, why do you want me to take out the trash? You got use your powers. I just gave you a perfect you're argument. There you right, go. Right. You're right. See, I, I like you. You, you know what's. <laughs> You definitely know what's up, and then she, uh, in the chat room, they said there might be some good sex. I, you know what? You could use your telekinesis to, to handle it. Like, let's say it's you know you don't feel like it that night. She can use her telekinesis to take care of her man. So, so <laughs> there's a lot of reasons. <laughs> oh my god, that's awful. I always thought like that's how Yoda, you know, Yoda probably did that right with his Jedi powers. Right? He, I think he used it. I think he he told the other Jedi's to not. You know, because they took a vow of celibacy, but they never said Yoda did. So uh, I think he was out there in them streets. But that's just what I think. Uh, but, I, I would, I would like to never think about Yoda and sex in the same sort of visual uh, proximity ever. Little green man wanted to. Nope. <laughs> little green. He wasn't always a thousand years old. Okay, he he was twenty at some point. <laughs> 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 green, so yeah, no. Right. Well, look, green people need love. Uh, all my green. You know what? We might have green people watching, and they they're now offended by your statements. <laughs> so, but um, no, but uh, there is, you know, it's interesting too. There's this dynamic with Mike and Eleven where he tries to be like the man in the relationship, but you know where he's trying to assert himself in that way. And uh, Max comes in to kind of thwart it to a certain degree. And, uh, you know, she totally needs to butt out of their business. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, um, and, but he really cares for her, right? And there was a couple of times where, uh, yeah, she was blocking. Like, yeah, like a good homegirl? No, a good homegirl don't do that. Um, but um, I, uh, I, I really feel like, he was looking out for her and when he was saying hey maybe we shouldn't use her powers like this because he's thinking of the negative effects that it could happen to her i i didn't you know they were trying to make it like he was being sexist or something because he was trying to look out for his woman and her well-being 
and that, I thought that was kind of messed up. You know, that uh, Max was the one that was pushing that. Oh, I don't know about that. I, I don't think that that's okay. So, so I know that that's what was said. And I don't think that that's actually what they were saying. What, uh, what was being said was 11 is uh, a person in her own right and can handle herself. And I, I think that this is again you know this goes back to what i said earlier which is season three feels like the characters are very much they evolved a lot over this season they grew up in a way that is a a big giant jump from where we were in season two and this is part of it people have sheltered 11 her whole life in in a way that was detrimental and <clears throat> the only way that Max can deal with is it, the only way Max knows how to deal with it is to say to Eleven you know you can't let him control you I don't think that it is really a situation of um, Max thinks that well no maybe she does I don't know maybe Max's experience says this is what guys do feminist type thing and my thing, my thing is, yeah. but out this between her and him and his girl, but, and he was right. He was actually but, right. Yeah, she's seen a lot of domestic violence. Wait. That's true, but he wasn't doing that to to. I mean, right. it makes sense from a character point of view. But you're not a teenage girl, and teen. This is exactly what. No, I agree. I is. agree. No, I'm I, no, I'm not okay. saying it's not in in line with the character. I'm just saying. That's just me looking at it, going butt out, woman. You know. Yeah, in the yeah, in the end, it does seem like Max may have uh, made things just a little bit worse for everybody mm-hmm. by you know by being by by basically inserting herself into a situation that didn't really require her to be right. There. Right. I mean, okay. he was looking out for his woman. He better look. Mike was better than me because I would have shut that down with Max. I'm like, you don't get your rusty, dusty butt away from me and my situation, <laughs> you know. So uh, he was he was too nice. He was too nice. Uh, I thought, you know, uh, he should have shut that down. But, you know, he's young, though. He don't know the game yet. And also the way that they that the way that they portray Mike is he is so he's. He's so innocent isn't the right word, but he, he there is so, it's not just naivete. There is some something very provincial about Mike, you know, something that just sort of he just is he's a kid. I mean, more than anybody, actually, almost more than Will, Mike seems like he is such a kid. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, Wilf seems like yeah you know, he's got some battle scars and you know but Mike still and that's why it's actually kind of nice that at the end he's he is able to let go he's able to say okay I know this is going to end up being okay we're going to do Thanksgiving we're going to do Christmas like we're going to make this work and that feel it felt like such a grown up sort of thing to to be expressing and it's it almost feels like, wow, he really did a lot of growing up over this season because I don't think he would have been in that position at the beginning of the no, season. No, it's hard, man. It's hard. And you want to be around your lady. So, you know, 
Uh, I, you know, I ain't mad at him. Um, I really, like I said, I, I, um, I really like the arc of their relationship in this, in this season. Cause like, like it says in the chat room, teenage relationships are messy and one minute we love each other. Next minute it's like, get away from me. And yeah, she uh-huh. has no mother figure. Yeah. Maybe Joy, Joyce can show her that. Um, all that stuff is all totally true and and actually you know if you think about it that's actually a sort of a brilliant uh it's it's a brilliant stroke of uh of writing for them to sort of leave the season with 11 has had now had hopper for a while and he gave her uh the kind of parental influence that only a, a dad could give you and now we leave with joyce who it's very possible can impart the kind of wisdom that only a a mother figure could leave you with. So it is, it it kind of makes Eleven feel like there is a chance for her to be far more uh, okay than she would have been without it. I mean, not that, you know, losing Hopper is (laughs) obviously. Let's get to it. Let's get to the nitty gritty. It is Hopper dead. Well, if you believe the end credits, maybe not. Also, if you believe the fact that he just signed the contract again, maybe oh, not did he? Yeah. Oh, so how? Well, shoot. Uh. <laughs> so, so, so I mean, in the real world, it seems unlikely. In the fictional world, it feels pretty complete that yeah, he's got to be dead. Oh, well, you said he didn't sign the contract. He oh. did. He did. The, the guy who plays David Hopper Harbor. signed a. Four- yeah, he signed a fourth contract with, uh, with basically with Netflix to do, uh, to do the next season. So. Oh, okay. So he's not gonna be like a force ghost. So, uh, <laughs> I would highly doubt it. Okay, so he's gonna be in the next season for sure, one way or the other. The question is how how does that work? If he's the American, when they say no, not the American, if that's him, then how did it work that they pulled him? from one side of the world to the other without how does that even work that's a good i feel like that's uh not just a big question it's a giant sort of it's a huge well they didn't show him die die so that usually means he's not dead (sighs) movie logic is a little bit tough so how would you feel if he's not dead I feel like they better come up with some really solid reason that he's not because we all saw that room totally explode. And he had that little I'm about to die look on his face. Uh, yeah, and uh, the only thing that, that we that we came up with as a collective group, and there were only three of us, so <laughs> it's a small sample, um, is maybe the force of the blast opened the rift enough that something happened that connected the American side to the Russian side and it basically forced them both out and so now they're actually both alive well I don't know um, I, I, I hopefully I don't want his character to be dead he's one of my favorite characters on the show and so I'm pretty sure he's going to be alive I didn't even when they said he was going to die uh, it said it might be Matthew Modine, huh? Uh, which I really enjoyed Matthew Modine in the first season. Uh, but um, Stephanie actually sent me this article of eight questions we have 
uh, we have about season four. Let me make sure I said that. Eight questions we have about to yet be announced, but inevitable season, Stranger Things season four. It says what year it'll be. Uh, more likely, they're, they're suspecting it'll be 1986, which was a really good year. Hmm. 86. Uh, what's the deal with Hopper and the Russians? Uh, is another question. Will Eleven get her powers back? How did the departure of the Byers family change everyone? Question five is, can Stranger Things expand its world building beyond Hawkins? Which it seems like that's what they're attempting to do now, right? Well, it has to. I mean, I don't think they have a choice. It's got to go beyond Hawkins. Will Nancy get her big break or at least a... I'm sorry. Will Nancy get her big break or at least a break? What's going on with Will? Uh, well, you know, they brought up his potential sexuality. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, he they said that he didn't like girls. And there, I saw something where they were talking about they may explore him being homosexual. And how much more Robin will we get as well? And we know that she, her character, did come out the closet uh, during the season, which was an interesting scene in itself. So, um, of those questions I just uh, mentioned uh, out of all of those, which one would you say is the one that you want to know more more about? Uh, well, obviously Hopper. So yeah. let's, take, let's take Hopper out. Those other questions. Um, I I mean I I already know that Eleven will get her powers back, but I in what capacity is sort of a, a little bit mysterious to me. And, and what that might mean. You know, it's actually kind of interesting the way that they're doing this because from a trope standpoint, typically the trope is that you get some kind of weird power or weird magnetism to things that are supernatural as you go through your teenage years. It, it's sort of, it, it's like, that's why we always have so many stories about ghosts and demons and stuff like that with that are attracted to especially younger women. Um, in, and so that piece of the trope is sort of interesting because they're basically turning it upside down mm-hmm. and creating a situation where Eleven is losing her powers to go through uh, to go through the transition of puberty all the way up into a whatever. And and that in and of itself sort of is kind of a, an, an interesting take on on what it means to transition, you know, in from being young so into being a young adult i guess is what i'm saying um uh so i mean that one isn't quite so fascinating but i think though i actually you know i think the i think honestly what is sort of interesting to me is not whether will is uh what whatever his sexual orientation is but i do feel like will was we didn't really see a lot of will this this season and what we did see with him was sort of just, okay, my spidey senses are tingling. And I, I suspect that there's more to that. And I am very interested to see how they will sort of move Will's storyline going forward. I, I, I will say one other thing based on what we just talked about, which is, you know, what we're expecting to see in season four. In season three, the the emphasis in season one and season two has always been on predominantly other than 11, the male characters of stranger things. And by design, I mean, other than Joyce, 
you know, by design, that it was a very integral and, and smart choice on their part. In season three, however, I was very, very happy to see that there was a, a concerted emphasis on not just the women characters, but the, 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 the power of women together without making it seem ridiculous, without making calling attention to it in a way that was, you know, uh, like filling it with hyperbole or making it, you know, such a huge metaphor that you that's beating you over the head with it. Instead, it just felt very organic. And I really, really appreciated that. Uh, girl power is obviously very near and dear to my heart, but I don't, it, like, I never want it to be done sort of at the expense of the male characters. And in this case, it didn't feel like that's what happened. So I really liked that. I Wait a minute, the show is full of girl power. Literally, I, I literally this, the main girl has power. <laughs> this, well, what, that's what I just said. I said Eleven and Joyce being notable, that obviously that is a piece. But in this, it, the, but Eleven and Joyce didn't, the, their levels of involvement in the story and the actual figuring stuff out and making things work. Although it was integral, it wasn't the same as it was in season three. In season three, they become sort of the core, not just Eleven and Joyce, but all the female characters become the core around which the male characters coalesce. And I think that going into season four, I would hope, and I think it will actually happen, there will be a, a a return, not a return, a, a, a balanced approach. So we've had a lot of the male characters. Now we've had a whole season of really strong female characters. And I think in season four, it will be a little bit more of a balance. But it, it, I, I just have to say that I just really enjoyed that. I felt like it was I really good. It. I hate girl power. You do not. More, more, they need to be more in the kitchen. No, I'm just playing. Get out. <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe that. Um. No, that's interesting. Do you think the upside down turned Will Byers gay? No. What? <laughs> I think that's what happened. He was in the upside down too long, and it, that's what it does. It, you know, so. So you know, I, I, I actually, <laughs> I actually wouldn't even be surprised if, and and also, can I just, literally upside down. For for a preteen, exploring sexuality feels like it just seems like, yeah. okay. So that's what that's what Mike says, but I feel like we may have read too much into that as he's just maybe he's just too young and he's just not interested in girls. That's how I, I took it at first. Yeah. I've seen articles. I, I feel like maybe people read a little bit too much. into. Well, that. I mean, the only reason I didn't take it as he was gay, I took it as he just hadn't got to that point yet. And then. I started reading articles where they were talking about, oh, they're going to explore his homosexuality in the next season. And I'm like, yeah, he's emotionally stunted. Yeah. And he seemed like he was like that before the Upside Down, too. Um, and he's like kind of a, a small kid. And he's not, you know, I mean, it's not like the other guys are cool. But, you know, what I mean, they're um, they're they're not as stunted in a way. He's a late bloomer. Right. Yeah. He's a late bloomer. That's a good. That's a perfect. Right. And we got to get to this. And me and Steph actually talked about this yesterday is um, she really wants to know about the kids one through 10. Um, and remember, in the second season, they did that episode 
where they kind of focused on it, which, you know, actually, I was not a fan of that episode. But after actually after having a conversation with Stephanie, it made me think about it a little bit. Like, I guess the episode was very necessary because they did set that up as there were other kids. And it really, you know, they did need to pay that off. Right. So I think I think maybe if it happened maybe earlier in the season, because it came like in the middle of like a great arc that was coming, you know what I'm saying? And it kind of broke up that momentum. And I think, you know, you know what I would have liked is, you know what? I might've liked this episode a little bit more that, that episode where 11 goes, you know, off. you know what they could have done with it is she went away. They don't really tell what happened. And then, you know, she comes back. And then they could have waited like in between the season and then actually made that as like a side movie, like some extra content of this is what happened while she was gone away or something to kind of get you to bridge that time in between seasons that then then, you know, what I'm saying like I would have actually liked that a little bit better, you know, than that because that episode, I think. Maybe if I rewatched that episode, I liked it better. It was just because it had got so far off what was going on, and I was so invested in it, and I understood what they were doing. It's kind of like a break before the crescendo, mm-hmm. but I would have liked that as like a little mid-season movie, or I mean, in between season movie of this is what happened when you know when Eleven went away. You know, you could have just said like she went away, she had some kind of experience, and then we'd have filled in the missing pieces of with that, you know they could have expanded that episode to like an hour and a half episode. And then that would have been like, you know, 11, you know, so, but anyway, um, but maybe I need to rewatch that episode because I think I was so at the time just into it. And then it went to this other episode and it was like, no, no, get back to the dogs, <laughs> you know, like, right. So, you know, but, and, and then it was so awesome after that, but, um, but yeah, you know, obviously, I think because they were talking about that was possibly a a um a, a, a kind of a test pilot for a possible spinoff. And they were also then they made a movie. I'm trying to remember what the name of that movie is. They made a movie that came out last summer that was the same plot of that episode about these kids who have these powers. And it was made by the same producers as well. And I can't remember what the name of the movie. The movie was like a big flop. It was like a big flop, and uh, I'd never seen that movie. Um, but it was like the same exact pilot, and at the end, they said, Oh, from the producers of Stranger Things. I was like, Dang, that's that episode, basically. You know, oh wow, <laughs> um, I need to look it up. I didn't know about that, yeah, yeah. It was, uh, yeah, it was, you know, uh, it was literally the same plot of that one episode with uh, Eleven where she went to Chicago and got with those other people with powers. It was literally the, that was that, what that movie was about. So you see, it's going to make me look it up. Uh, <laughs> see, Cause I've been saying that movie. Cause I don't even remember the name of it. Uh, well, it, it, you know, it the- would be nice to, it would be nice to understand more about, you know, the facility uh, and what happened there. But at the same time, I also sort of feel like, you know, yeah, maybe that would be kind of cool side material. But it definitely isn't the main, and I think it would be a mistake to focus on that instead of 
the core and central plot of Stranger Things, which is really this group of kids in a protracted coming of age, or uh, well, an expanded coming of age uh, story that isn't told with a lot of the um, with the a darkest lot of, minds. It was called the darkest minds. I'm sorry. The darkest minds. Okay. Oh, you know what? I did see that. Oh well. Oh, okay. I okay. Hmm. A big flop. Yeah. I wow. I did see that. Yeah. I did. I wasn't a huge fan of that either. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's interesting. Well, in any event, I I don't think that 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 is the direction that they should go in because I feel like that what makes Stranger Things Stranger Things is is it is at its core and at its best it is a whole lot of people who do not have any power at all and 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 that is what really makes it relatable and central it's, and Eleven of course you know she does have power but that power is. It, it's not used deus ex machina. And I feel like if you have a bunch of people, this is the problem that I've always had with um, some of the Marvel uh, universe pieces where the superpowers are used sort of to save the day instead of being used as, uh, as, a, as sort of an extension of who the people are. I mean, Thor does a good job of it, but there's not a lot and stranger things sort of excels because it doesn't fall into that same trap. And so I kind of, I don't know. I sort of disagree. I'm not really sure that I want to see more about the other kids. I mean, again, as side material, maybe. Right. That's what I mean. Like side material, that'd be great. You know, as a um, and then and, and as I thought about it, they really needed to address it in somehow, you know, they needed to address it somehow. So, uh, I'm definitely for that. Oh man, we're running out of time. Um, before we uh, we only have like ten minutes left before we turn into a pumpkin. Uh -oh. Before before we we go, uh, what's some last bit of things that you want to talk about um, about uh, season three to wrap it up? Well, I I think uh, although we didn't get too far into it, I I do think that the Joyce and Hopper um, relationship where people complained about Hopper being, you know, kind of like, oh, he's the abusive boyfriend and all that stuff. I feel like that was really short-sighted. I, I, if you know Hopper and you've seen him over the past three seasons altogether, you realize there is a sense to this character that is just totally unique. And, and it's, it's, I don't feel like it's abusive. <laughs> I don't feel like it's emotionally harrowing. It's Hopper being Hopper in a way that is, this is this is basically the core of his expression and it doesn't feel demeaning and it doesn't feel any of that stuff and i'm really sensitive to that stuff so if i didn't feel it i'm not saying nobody else could feel it but if i don't feel offended by it i feel like well maybe we really need to kind of go back and revisit that that seemed kind of alarmist to me so i i loved that i loved having hopper and joyce have that all of those moments together because they all felt totally authentic. I mean, it, it, it was like looking at some of the couples that I know. Yeah. Yeah, and they have history, a uh, relationship history, right? In the past. I, I think they explored it a little bit in the first season, right? I think so, yeah. Yeah. So overall, what would you give on a scale from one to 10 
10 being the best, what would you give season three? In relationship to all the other seasons or just like in relationship to all other media? No, just how do you feel about it? I, if I were to score this just sort of like on its own merits, I would give season three um, probably an 8.9. Really? Okay. I, I give it a, a, a nine. Nice. Um, and it, it was just fantastic, you know? Uh, I mean, there's some a couple of nitpicks, but I mean, you can nitpick anything, really. It's true. You but but um, it was just an amazing season. Very surprising because the promos weren't very well good. So that's why I was like kind of surprised that it was as good as it was. Uh, and you know what? I'm going to just, you know what? I think this next season, I'm not going to even have expectations. I'm just going to watch it. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, you know, but I have to say uh, it was a really good season. And so um, looking forward to the next season. Me too. So how can we get you in social media and all that good stuff? Uh, social media, you can follow me on Twitter at following bliss one um, on and every other social media as well, too. Um, and you can visit my websites at moviesmakethemeal.com and criticallaughs.com. Why are the laughs so critical? I, I'm critical of laughs. That's all. Oh, you're critical of laughs. OK. Uh, and um, uh <laughs> Even my mom liked it. Oh, I caught you off guard. Like anything. That's my my mother too. She she was trying not to like it, and then she was like giggling at certain parts. I'm like, you know, you like it. She's like, what is this crap? And then she was watching it, and then she was like giggling and stuff. So, you know, she liked it too. Uh, you can get me at Kente F on Twitter, and of course, uh, Kente Ferguson on Instagram. And we'll be back with all new episode of the Spotlight coming up soon. Uh, uh, no more. Uh, we won't be doing uh, Cinema du Fromage next Thursday, but we will be back to review Stranger, Strange Brew, not Stranger Things, but Strange Brew, uh, the 1983 cult Canadian cult classic. With that said, maybe we'll do another um, spotlight next week. Uh, with that said, um, you guys have a wonderful uh, week weekend that's coming up. Peace. <laughs>